Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company the app can be downloaded from google play and apple app store over 18s only please gamble responsibly Welcome to the Molyneux View podcast, back after just one week's summer recess. I'm Jackie Oatley. No Tim Spears this week. He's away, but what has he missed anyway? Only Matt Doherty's shock move to Spurs, a meltdown by Wolves fans over the lack of signings and speculation over Nuno's future, Gibbs White departure for the season, Captain Connor Cody's England call-up at last, reports from Spain about Adama Traore testing positive for coronavirus... And a highly controversial away kit. It is all happening. But I am delighted to welcome a fantastic guest this week to offer his considerable insight into all matters gold and black. It is the former Wolves head of media, the former Wolves correspondent for the Birmingham Mail and lifelong Wolves fan from Bradmore in Wolverhampton, all neatly packaged into one human being. It is Paul Berry. Hi, Paul. <laughs> Hi, Jackie. How are you doing? How neatly packaged are you feeling this morning? Yes, I'm feeling OK, yeah. I think uh, I have a feeling Tim knew this was coming, so that's why he's disappeared <laughs> wherever he's gone and left the rest of us to cope with all this. But no, it's all good. Oh, he chose a good time. Well, we hope you're having a wonderful time, Tim, wherever you are, obviously listening to this right now. But um, a lot of Wolves fans, Paul, know who you are, partly from your Twitter profile, I would guess, and from your role previously at the club. But you've taken a bit of a backseat profile-wise. Um, after a decade in the Molyneux Media Department, I guess you know where all the bodies are buried, right? <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Um, yeah, it's nearly three years now since I moved on, but uh, yeah, I had a great time at Wolves. Uh, I just felt it was time to do something a bit different, but still very much in touch with a lot of people there. Um, you know, it's a great place to work, and I'm sure still is. And obviously, since I left, it's gone from strength to strength. So it must have been me that was uh, the problem. <laughs> that right? was it. Definitely, that's yeah. what it was. As soon as I went, off and go. But no, it's, uh, it's nice to be able to. It's nice to be able to watch as a fan again. I mean, I know you've. Uh, you grew up watching Wolves as well, so um, I've been able to go back, take my boys and obviously enjoy some uh, some brilliant football. Yeah, I bet you have. Well, we'll talk about your experiences covering the club shortly and working behind the scenes there, of course. But but first, some breaking news, which I'm not sure that works in podcast terms because it depends when you're listening to this. But overnight it broke late Monday night in Spain that Adama Traore had reportedly tested positive for coronavirus ahead of his proposed stint with the Spain national side. They're due to play Germany and Ukraine in Nations League matches but the marker article says he'll have another test today that's Tuesday and will be able to join up with the squad if the test is negative now we're only going on this report but it suggests that the first test didn't necessarily happen yesterday but possibly a few days ago so fingers crossed that he passes the second test but if not then he'll have to self-isolate for 10 days from the date of any negative test um, remember that the Wolves opening Premier League matches on Monday the 14th at Sheffield 
Sheffield United. So it's not exactly ideal on top of the fact there have been departure, well, a key departure and, and no players in and fans being a little bit concerned about the start of the season coming so quickly. I think so. I mean, it all seems to be kind of mounting up a little bit, doesn't it? But, um, you know, fingers crossed the second test is negative and fingers crossed, I suppose, that his health is OK, which is probably the main thing. But, um, yeah, if there is, I mean, it's positive about if he is tested positive, I guess he's he's not been in and around the rest of the squad. Obviously, we're not aware of the circumstances and, and probably shouldn't be really with patient confidentiality and all that. But um, if he is tested positive again, hopefully... You know, he is asymptomatic, he doesn't doesn't get too ill with it, doesn't get ill at all with it, and he can just isolate, get himself better and get back to, to joining the squad. But as you say, if he if he does have to self-isolate, I guess I imagine he won't be able to train properly, even on his own. Um, you know, the Wolves protocol, I mean the club doctor at Wolves, Matt Perry, is is, is exceptional and has been throughout this sort of health crisis, I think, leading the way with the backroom staff there. So he will be absolutely all over it. He'll make sure every single um, procedure is followed and you know if, if he can't train he can't be around the squad then as you say he'll be um, he won't be able to play in that first game I'd have thought but we'll see what happens yeah of course health absolutely comes first and we uh, we hope very much that uh, he's not ill if he does indeed have the virus now in terms of his shoulder situation that hasn't changed he's not had an operation it's all gone rather quiet on that front but they must feel they can manage it do you think that's a concern going into the new season I think possibly um, it did keep happening for, for a time, didn't it? And obviously, when it happened, I think he carried on playing most of the time. But you just got to wonder about the long term. But again, uh, repeating myself, you know, the medical team at Wolves are so good. If there's any kind of doubt that it is going to cause him long-term problems, I think they would have gone for the surgery. Uh, they've got this new technique now as well, haven't they? Of sort of greasing his arms up to uh, to stop people grabbing onto him, which uh, you know, hopefully that works as well. But I mean, it would have been the ideal time, wouldn't it, to get the surgery done? Um, you know, even even had the breaks been very very short, and at least then give him more time to recover. So, as you say, you're hoping that they've you know taken another look at it, maybe strengthened the, the muscle around it, and um, they're confident it won't be a problem anymore. Yeah, well, the other players are back in today. That's Tuesday, just for drive-through testing. Then they'll be back in. Wednesday for the first training session, assuming they'll test negative, of course. But it won't take long for me to run through the first teamers who are actually reporting for duty. They are, okay? Don't blink. Don't switch off your, your radio for a second. Uh, the first teams are Bolly, Raul, because he's not on international duty, Saiz, Ruddy, Pedence, Jordao, Kilman, Burr and Bennett. Ryan Bennett is back, of course, from his loan spell at Leicester. Still under contract, not necessarily expected to stay, but he will be back training with the group. And they'll be joined by a host of under-23s and uh, some of the talented under-18s as well. Johnny, of course, will be in there for rehab. They've got so many players, nine players away with internationals. Rui Patricio, Neves, Matinho and Jota with Portugal senior side and Vinagra and Neto with under-21s. Dendonka with Belgium. Cody with England. I'm just going to say that. That again, Connor Cody is on full senior England duty. Just let that sink in. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We'll talk about that in a second. And of course, Triori, the situation with Spain. And so the players coming back from international duty only due to report back Wednesday, Thursday of next week with the opener at Sheffield United on the Monday night. I wonder how Nuno's feeling about all this right now. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It's almost um, a problem with the success of the team and the players when you have so many that are so good that they're, 
they called up for internationals like this in such big numbers. Um, and I think we all know how much Nuno values his time on the training ground, uh, especially pre-seasons. I think he particularly enjoys, he, he gets that sort of team shape and the personnel exactly how he wants it to, to go for the full sort of nine or ten months or even longer as the last one was. So, yeah, it's not ideal. Um, I guess it's the same for a lot of clubs who've got internationals in the Premier League. It's It's... You know, it's such a bizarre situation at the moment with such a short break as well that it all just seems to be coming coming together. But I imagine they'll just, like like everybody, just have to get on with it. Um, you know, the first few weeks of the season will probably be be tricky. But again, it's the same for everyone. And I mean, maybe in a wolf sense, they'll they'll keep a little bit of the rhythm from the sort of end of the season. Obviously, it was a bit mixed results there. But equally, they've not had a huge break. When they do come back, hopefully they'll be able to sort of slot back in pretty quickly. But, I mean, these are unprecedented times and it's, it's very difficult to know what to expect, really. Yeah, I mean, you compare the little time that Wolves have had compared to Liverpool, who flew out to Austria for their pre-season training camp. Such a luxury. And you were there, of course, in Austria for Nuno's first pre-season when, when all the magic started to take shape. Um, they flew out just a couple of days after Wolves came home from their Europa League quarterfinal in Germany. So very different playing field. But as you said, these are unprecedented times. It's all very different. And Wolves just have to make the most of it. But let's 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 talk about a positive before we talk about Matt Doherty's departure. A huge positive of Mr. Ever-Present in the Premier League for the last couple of seasons. Never once injured, never substituted, 10 out of 10 marks every week for attitude and application. Connor Cody finally receiving his England call-up. I mean, you know the lad and you've known him since he signed in the summer five years ago when Kenny Jackett was in charge. I mean, did you feel a little bit emotional about it? I think, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, you know, every Wolves fan will, as you know, can sense, sense the excitement in your voice as well, which is which is great to hear. I think he's he's just a, he's just such a, a great bloke, isn't he? I mean, I remember when he when he first joined, I think as a press officer, you always, you know, you chat to your opposite number at the club, where the player's coming from and, you know, what's he like? Is he is he good with the media, etc.? And um, David Threlfall Sykes, I think he's still at Huddersfield, who's someone you might know. I remember him saying that, that Connor was the nicest footballer he'd ever met. So sort of straight away you're thinking, yep, yeah, <laughs> this is a good one. And uh, and he was, and he has been, and, and his attitude has, has been incredible. And it's <clears throat> strange to think, really, that sort of, I think just Kenny Jacket, just, well, just before um, Kenny departed, I mean, Connor wasn't really, you know, looking like he was in the plans too much. Um, I think there was a, in that tour of Ireland, he was sort of playing with the younger players in a game, in a friendly game. And it almost looked as if, it might be the end of his Wolves career. And I remember talking to him, and he was he was desperate to stay. But equally, he was sort of saying, "Look, if if I'm not playing, I want to play." Um, and it just shows the fine lines in football because then the decision was made. I mean, it was you know Kenny did an unbelievable job at Wolves, and I think we all know that. And he was great for me to work with. But sometimes different different coaches, different managers look at players in different ways. And Nuno came in and pinpointed you know how he wanted Connor to play, and then the last three years. Have just been incredible, and it's such it, it's so great to see someone who's such a good bloke. His attitude's absolutely spot on. Um, you know, he'll love this call up probably as much as anyone that's ever been called up for England. Uh, and it's great to see, and hopefully, you know, hopefully, he'll get a chance to play. 
Yeah, and he's a fantastic footballer as well, improved his game significantly. But from that personal point of view, I mean, over the 18 years or so that I've done this job, I've spoken to countless press officers and you always have a little chat about who the good guys are and you hear about some absolute horrors as well. And press officers always kind of, you know, roll their eyes when they just cannot get certain players to do their community commitments. It's a very sad thing to say, but as you know, it happens and you have some players who are keener than others at doing that. And so, for example, at Tottenham, I always remember it was um, Michael Dawson, who was just so brilliant at doing that, would, would take up the slack of other players who couldn't be bothered, frankly, and take the fine for not doing it. But did you find that with Connor? Is he that kind of player that will naturally want to engage with fans? Absolutely. And I think... Um you know, I think I've been quite fortunate in my time at Wolves. There was a lot of captains that were like that, from sort of Carl Henry, Jody Craddock, uh, Danny Bart, Sam Ricketts, and you know, Connor was just sort of coming into that leadership role as I left. But he was always fantastic to deal with. I mean, I think over the last two or three years, you know, he's done a lot of media work. I think you know, he's the one that fronts up for interviews, good or bad. And you always need a player like that, and you always need someone as reliable. Um, and someone who, who tells it like it is as well. You know, you can tell with Connor, you can tell from his face whether they've won or lost, but he's not going to shirk any of those responsibilities. Um, you know, I'm sure that the Wolves media team absolutely love him now for that, as well as, as his talent and his personality. And I think, and it, and it won't phase him at all, will it? I think joining up with England, I'm sure he'll know a lot of the players anyway, they've played against them. Um, and he's just the sort of character that'll take it in his stride. And, and literally, if he gets the opportunity, he's going to want to grasp it with both hands. Yeah, I interviewed him on stage at the end of season awards last season. Uh, he seemed a little bit um, emotional, perhaps, about the fact that he'd been snubbed without saying as such. He, he just said, look, I can't think about it. You know, I'm fed up with thinking about it. I've just got to concentrate on club form and, and get on with it. And he's now been rewarded, presumably because of the potential change of formation with Gareth having played a back four in recent times, not necessarily suiting Connor, but could be switching now to a back three, which which would obviously suit him and uh, potentially Ainsley Maitland-Niles being there as well. Uh, could shortly be a, another Wolves player playing for England. But Iceland against England, five o'clock kickoff on Saturday in the UEFA Nations League group match live on Sky Sports. I'll have to dash back after covering the Reading game on Sky. I'll ask him to wait if he doesn't mind before coming on. That would be very helpful. And then, uh, or even just wait till Tuesday, Denmark against England, 7.45. That's also live on Sky. Uh, Laurie Dalrymple, former Wolves managing director, tweeted after the announcement was made of Connor's call-up. Connor Cody is without doubt the best professional I had the pleasure of working with at Wolves. I'm so pleased he's finally been recognised for his hard work. In my opinion, no other individual drove the culture and identity of the group such as he did a richly deserved call-up. Here, here. I think uh, that's, that's been a really positive story this week. But there was rather a shock, surprise, or simply a, a disappointing story for many people. After 10 years at Molyneux, 302 matches, Matt Doherty is no longer a Wolves player. He's also no longer an Arsenal fan, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Brilliant bit of social media by Tottenham, didn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you worry about that and then to sort of almost just deal with it straight away. I thought that was brilliant. It really was an example of how to deal with a potentially negative situation. Instead of skirt around it and the lad just delete it quietly and, and I hope the screenshots don't emerge too quickly. Um, he, in case anyone missed it, he'd written in 2012, which he was perfectly entitled to do. I love Arsenal forever and ever. And uh, yeah, and he, he just put on a very embarrassed face and then patted the, the Tottenham badge. Very, very good. But I mean, on the one hand, I guess we were surprised about it. 
Were you surprised when the announcement came out? I think so. It wasn't an announcement, was it? It was, it was a sort of leaked yeah, reports in the papers. Um, I think so. But then equally, again, very little surprises in football these days, doesn't it? And, um, I mean, his form over the last two or three seasons, again, has assimilated Connor. I mean, he's... You know, everyone talks about the players that have come into the club who've obviously been absolutely fantastic. But when you talk about Nuno's work with players already here, I think, you know, Matt Doherty and Connor were the two that really stand out. And if you look at sort of what's happened this week, you can almost see the evidence of that with Connor's England call and now, and now Matt getting, you know, getting this interest and getting this move to a club who obviously we've hopefully caught up a lot on in the last two or three years, but still Tottenham, huge club um, over the last decade, two decades and longer. Incredible stadium, you know. Look at the squad that they've got. So you can almost perhaps understand why it would appeal to him. Um, but again, it's a real feather in his cap that, that Tottenham have come in for him. And I think once that interest comes, once there's a bid that Wolves are happy with, and once the player is actually happy to entertain it and think about the move, then it, it does become very difficult. I think in modern football to do anything else really than than to do the deal. Yes, and I think if we cast our minds back, it, it may have crossed people's radar, it may have passed them by that uh, Matt did sign up with Gestafoot Agency, which of course is George Mendez's agency around 18 months ago. So when that happened, it wasn't really necessarily just to get a new contract with Wolves. You would think with him being 28 years of age, he'd probably had in mind a big move, money spinning move, presumably he's on a lot more money than at Wolves. And this shouldn't really be a big surprise when you think about it in that context. No, that's it. And um, I think he is, like you say, he's at that age, he's got a young family. Um, again, I don't think he's the sort of character that would ever push for the move or, you know, be desperately looking for a move. But then when there does become interest from, from one of the big boys, and, and I think we can say one of the fellow big boys now with the way Wolves are, but when that interest comes in, it's a fresh challenge for him. As you say, I'm sure it's um, it's a good move for him in many, in many respects. Uh, and I think, you know, you just have to wish him good luck, really. Um, He's done a great stint at Wolves. It's been 10 real up and down years. He's managed to stay throughout it, through the different managers, through the promotions, through the relegations. And I hope he'll, and I'm sure he will, be really, really fondly remembered. Um, I know it's, I think we're going to talk about Jeff Shee and what he said on the website a bit later on, but he, he made an interesting point about players leaving, that, you know, once a wolf, always a wolf. And I think with Matt Doherty having spent 10 years here, I'm sure... Hopefully fans that are a little bit disappointed will will come round to the fact that he's, he's given an incredible contribution to the club. Yeah, they'll have been thinking that as they were wistfully watching his video yes. on the uh, Tottenham Twitter feed. And then he said, I just feel like coming here is going to take my game and my career to the next level. I feel like I'm taking a step forward now. Ouch, Matt. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> cut a few to the quick there. But you, know, you can see... It's from an ex, is it? <laughs> He sounds like you speak from experience there. Um, yeah, I mean, it is exciting for him. And coming from Ireland, Tottenham, obviously huge tradition, Premier League, top club traditionally. So, um, and, you know, Jeff, she did say, you know, officially from Wolves that, that once the player wants to go, it was uh, it was a deal they were they were happy to do, and I mean the various factors aren't there that Nuno's the type of manager that does not want to have a player in his squad for pre-season that doesn't want to be there. I know that um, Ryan Bennett's there, slightly different situation. He's just under contract for now, but um, he wouldn't want if he was to try and upgrade Mac Doherty. Presumably that's the plan now. If they can, then he's not going to want him to be on the bench because he doesn't like 
a squad of any unhappy players, does he? That's why he chooses such a tight-knit squad so that everybody knows their role and, and most of them start every week. And it breeds that harmony that's so integral in, into what Nuno tries to do as a manager. I think so. I think that's spot on. Um, you know, if he is looking to refresh things, as he says he is, and I'm sure he'll be wanting to do, to have a player that's that's given such great service and then not be involved so much... Um, even if that player's not one that's going to throw throw his toys out the pram, I think it does. You know, it's been fair to the player as well, isn't it? And it's again, it's happened recently with other players since Nuno arrived. When you think back to to Dave Edwards and, and Danny Bart, who I mentioned earlier, that I think you know there's a situation where players who've given such service, if they're no longer really part of that first team, you know, the first eleven, I suppose, um, it, it's it's the better option really to to kind of move them on if that move is there for them and it's a good move for them um, and I know there's been a lot of sort of discussion around the fee um, but again I think this is kind of the modern football the situation Wolves are in a fee these days it's only what the club are willing to pay and Wolves have managed to pick up a lot of bargains over the last two or three years so if they, if there is a feeling that this is slightly less than perhaps Doc's market value at the moment then I think, you know, you just take it and I'm sure that money will now be available to reinvest and, and put into the kitty for whatever Nuno's going to try and do over the next few weeks. Yeah, they originally offered £12 million plus add-ons, but they were sort of random add-ons that just didn't make much sense for the club. So £15 million, that's it. He'll be 29 in January. Chance potentially to upgrade somebody who, it was brilliant going forward and I've had my husband in my ear all week going, I can't believe he's selling the second highest fantasy football points generator behind Trent Alexander-Arnold or something well, I, don't, I don't do fancy football but he can't understand it but there is a defensive job to be done too and whilst he was a good defender it doesn't mean to say that there isn't a potential upgrade to be made but I mean we have to address the issue that has been criticised um, fairly widely generally but on social media in recent days Tarek Pania football writer for New York Times for example said Matt Doherty transfer to Spurs is perhaps the most George Mendes influenced signing I can think of. He's an advisor to Wolves owners who also have a stake in his business. He's agent to Wolves coach Nuno to Spurs coach Mourinho. He's also Doherty's agent. Clean sweep. Not surprised to see reports that Wolves are lining up Doherty's replacement from Valencia where Mendes is an advisor to Valencia Singaporean owner Peter Lim. Can you see why journalists and uh, fans to a lesser extent, but I'd really say journalists actually look at the situation and don't feel comfortable with it. I can. I mean, I think I spent sort of the last 18 months, probably my time at Wolves, fending off um, interview requests about George Mendes and questions, etc. Um, again, I think it, it's it's modern football whereby Wolves have got the sort of air of, you know, one of the, well, he's called the best agent in the world for, for the players on his books. And a lot of different clubs now will use different agents and, and use their sort of influence to, to bring players in. Um, I just think if there's ever, I just think if there's ever anything wrong with it, with anything George Mendes does, it's going to get picked up by the authorities. And, you know, Wolves are, are benefiting from what he's doing at the moment. There's still the situation where, you know, that deal could be set up by George Mendes, but anybody at any point, Nuno, Jeff Shee and, and Matt himself could have could have said no. So I think Kevin Thelwell used to get asked about it a lot, didn't he? And he said, you know, George is there, he's an agent. He, they do them like any other agent, but obviously he's he's got more influence really because of the players that he's got. Um, but equally, he's never going to make any final decision for Wolves. He can put deals forward and players forward, but at the end of the day, it's the club and it's the board. Who, um, who make that final call. So, yeah, I can certainly see it. Um, but equally, 
you know, this is there will be other deals, I'm sure, where there's agents representing players and managers that are involved and. I think this is just the way it is and that nothing really is, is untoward about it. Yeah, and the key thing to remember is, A, the player wanted the move once he knew about it. I mean, he wasn't itching for a move, but you know, once it came up as being an option, he wanted to make it. So that's quite a big deal. Um, and secondly, Nuno's happy with it. And that, frankly, is really what matters. Because even though it's not ideal, it might have been nicer at the end of the transfer window or after they got a replacement in already. But life's not always that ideal is it it doesn't always happen in chron- chronologically the way you'd like it to uh, and maybe they just felt that they had to take this deal now and then yes it leaves them a little bit a little bit vulnerable I guess to other clubs knowing that they desperately need a right wing back um, with Luke Matheson by the way on crutches at the moment he's out for a few weeks so we'll miss out on any pre-season training so it leaves Oscar Burr Rasmussen possibly as the option for right wing back starting the season if indeed Adama Traore isn't available but uh, we shall see how that transpires um transfers Wolves fans want transfer news oh, gosh well all we know is that Ainsley Maitland-Niles is one that they definitely do want it's not been entirely helpful has it that he was man of the match in the community shield that called up for england uh-uh. so i think connor cody needs to have a little word with him in training doesn't he and just say great club great club great club you need to sign great club you'll get to play great club i mean he wants to play in central midfield that's one of the issues at arsenal whereas wolves perhaps are seeing him as a um, as a versatile uh, left wing back come potentially midfielder as and when they need him and it, it would also help in terms of the homegrown Premier League rules which state that a squad size of 25 if that indeed is what a manager wants eight of which must be homegrown you don't have to have 25 Premier League teams are not allowed any more than 17 non-homegrown players in their squad though you can have as many under 21s if you like so restrictions are there and you would expect them potentially to be in for a couple of English stroke homegrown players this summer. I think so. Um, as you say, the rules are there and, and I don't think we've bought many sort of homegrown players over the last two or three years. But someone like Maitland-Niles, he certainly fits the bill, as you say, because I'm sure Nuno is going to continue to want to operate with this with this small squad that he enjoys so much. Um, no Europe this year, so I think, again, he could probably go with that same sort of same sort of numbers we had this season without the added um, fixture congestion of, of the Europa League. So, again, someone like Maitland Niles, he fits different positions, and we've got two or three of those sort of players, haven't we? Which I think you know works really well with the likes of Dendonka and Saïs and people that can move around if needed. I suppose, as you've said there, I think the um, the conundrum will be: can they persuade him to come if they're saying to him, "Look, you know, we want you to play left wing back for the first half of the season or until whenever Johnny's back, and then." Potentially, we can consider other positions after that. So, you know, you don't know what's going on with that respect. But um, I do think they're going to, well, they're obviously going to strengthen. Um, it's clear they, they have to strengthen, especially in those areas. But equally, I think it will again be more about improvement and, and refreshing the squad rather than, you know, bringing in a huge number of players. Um, probably looking at the ones we've talked about that have gone or are going, probably just trying to kind of improve on those. Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at had only your size, the styles you like and everything at the price you want? Well, Stitch Fix is a company focused on doing just that. It's an online personal styling company that makes getting the clothes you love simple. It's a completely different way to shop and it's all about you. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash Molyneux to set up your profile and they'll deliver great looks personalised just for you. You'll 
pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep, schedule at any time with no subscription. Delivery and returns are completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash Molyneux. We had a few tweets from people when I asked how they're feeling about uh, life as a Wolves fan at the moment. Some quite nervous Wolves fans, Paul, as you um, might not be surprised to hear. They're saying, David Evans, with Doherty's transfer, are we seeing the other side of the Mendes wheel as displayed at other clubs such as Valencia? Wolves have benefited greatly from George so far, but transfers the other way were surely going to happen eventually. So some people can't quite get that out of their mind, thinking, of course, that... Whether it's a favour that was done when Moutinho was signed from Monaco for just £5 million. Shane Cooper, do you remember the scenes outside Newcastle when Keegan spoke to fans about the sale of Andy Cole to United? He said the fans should trust him. Then they signed Shearer. I wish our club would do the same. Very worried. That's a good point, actually, Paul, because you would think that, I mean, looking at it, they haven't really made too many errors of judgment, have they, in the transfer market? Yes, a couple haven't worked out. I mean, Catrone, it seems his attitude was questionable, but... Um, you know, there have been a couple, the loan of the Real Madrid centre-half, Jesus Vallejo, that definitely didn't work out. Um, but, but generally speaking, they have made excellent signings of young players who weren't necessarily household names and who have gone on and massively increased their value and their worth and have become much better players. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, what, four years of Fosen now and, and the first year, Kind of, we all remember what happened there. It was a bit of a bedding in process on on all sides, probably. But for the three years progress that's been made since has, has been remarkable, really. And I think you can certainly, you know, you can chart that progress every year, even from the from the second year in the Premier League with a, a few a couple of extra points, I think, wasn't it? But then the, the the Europa League run, which was incredible and something Wolves fans haven't enjoyed for almost four decades. So. Yeah, I mean, I just find it, I understand the concerns and I think, you know, it's it's not just Wolves fans, it's all football fans. We all get concerned, don't we, at certain times and when certain things happen. But equally, I mean, it's inconceivable for me that Fosen would do everything they've done and invest everything they've done and get to this stage and, you know, suddenly pull the plug or put the brakes on a little bit. Um, I'd find that very difficult to believe. And I think, you know, I'm sure they have. And, and I think the majority of fans, they've earned the trust now um, of those fans to, to try and do what's right to take the club forward. And obviously, the, again, it's a very different situation with the season. The transfer window's open for a few more weeks after the season starts, which obviously was changed last year. So it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But I certainly think, um, you know, there's, there's changes. There's always got to be changes at a football club in terms of the, the players to refresh it. And But yeah, I think they've earned the trust and I imagine they just want to push on and try and improve in the same way they have done for the last three years. Yeah, the Premier League transfer deadline's Monday, October the 5th. That's just under five weeks away. There is an EFL mini window in which Premier League clubs can deal with EFL clubs. That's from the 5th of October to the 16th of October. Mickey Wayne is less optimistic than Shane. No signings, two weeks till the season starts. Only players leaving, only incoming. A Villa fourth choice keeper in. Top sides all brought players in. What's going on? If we're to progress before Doc left, we need at least four quality signings in. Do Foson want championship football again well <laughs> no they don't want championship football again and they are clearly very confident that they're going to make new signings but I guess it's just the the lack of signings at the moment is making people a little bit nervous and some are some are taking a little bit more personally than others um 
Ted says, thank you for fielding the questions. You're very welcome, Ted. Uh, what a time for Tim Spears to have his holidays. Well, yes, the summer's the best time for it. That's all I can say. Um, please, would you investigate the processes and personnel behind the Wolves recruitment policy? Well, they have actually just changed their recruitment structure. Matt Hobbs is now the chief scout. John Marshall is now the head of scouting operations. And as well as them, they have a number of traditional scouts, the ones that, that go out with the flat caps and possibly the whippet, but maybe they're not allowed to say those in these days. And those that, that watch countless games on computers, which is quite a job, isn't it? Your job is to sit and watch matches and matches every single day. And they meet up regularly. And Chairman Jeff Shee is across the process. He says that's 50% of his job. And they have Scott Sellers, the head of the academy, feeding into that process. Um, that has been talked about a little bit by Jeff Shee on the website and his uh, communication in recent times. So, I mean, they are, and he said they are working night and day at the moment to make sure they bring players in. And there are a lot of, a lot of quotes on there um, about being very, very positive. He said, in the long term, our aims are still the same. There's not been any change, even in a really big pandemic that could go on for more than a year. That time frame is still a small part of our 10-year, 20-year plan for our long-term aims. I've repeated it many times. You want to be an elite team in the world and also a top brand, but we are not in a rush. We want to do things steadily, step by step, to build the club to that level. And he goes on to say, time is not our enemy. In fact, time is our friend, our best friend. For the next 10 or 20 years, we want to make Wolves an outstanding, legendary sports brand. So he's kind of screaming, trust me, we are very much committed and we are very much looking to take the club to the next level. Paul Nichols, with two weeks to go, I think we're entitled to be a little bit twitchy as we're only selling on a squad that was creaking to cope last season. And Mike, with the success we had last year, even though we had a small squad, why would we need a bigger squad this year with just the league to concentrate on? Is there a chance we buy nobody? Well, that's a good point. You were alluding to that, weren't you? Um, in that actually they don't have Europe. And had they finished sixth instead of seventh and not been pipped by Tottenham, this could have been a much bigger problem for them. Absolutely. And I think... Um... The other thing to remember as well, to a certain extent, is we're fishing in a very different pool now to <laughs> to previous years. I mean, you're in the, knocking around the top six of the Premier League, the sort of quality of player that you're looking for to improve, as we've talked about. Um, you're not just competing with other British teams, you're competing across Europe with players. And I think that makes it even more difficult to bring in to bring in that quality of player that we all want to see and that Nuno wants to improve the squad. So again, it's, it's quality, not quantity, I think. Um, it's not... You know, people don't want to hop back to the to the past, but it's not a few years ago. We're looking for players to sort of get you out of League One or the Championship. This is, you know, this is a real top end now of European football, isn't it? So it probably is going to be trickier to get in those targets that you want. But you know, I'm confident based on the previous evidence and based on you know what Jeff's saying there and what we know Nuno will want and with players having gone, that, that I'm sure they're going to be bringing people in. Um, whether it's for the start of the season, who knows, but certainly before the window shuts. Yeah, and Nuno's quotes to BT Sport straight after the quarterfinal defeat in the Europa League. Now we need to make good decisions so we cannot make mistakes like we did today. We need more players that can help us. He says more players. It doesn't necessarily mean numbers, does it? Because he still likes that small squad. And even though Wolves fans are crying out for numbers because Morgan Gibbs-White's gone to Swansea on loan for the year and we wish him well with that, by the way. That's a fantastic move for him and be very closely looking out for how he does there and Doherty having gone. Um, but yes, they need to replace those numbers. But would you expect them to bring in 
more players in terms of the quantity? Or would you rather expect them to stick with the the sort of strength they've got and maybe just add to it in terms of quality? Yeah, I think um, probably if you just said this, it'd be similar numbers. Um, he does like to operate with this small squad so that everyone knows they're involved. Everyone knows that they're, they're part of it and you know they've got a chance if they're not starting the one week to start start the next week and they've obviously again mentioned it earlier this this backroom team they've got which is an incredible got an incredible record of keeping players fit and, and free from injury um you can't avoid every injury obviously but over the last few years the vast majority of the squad have stayed fit uh i remember connor cody saying they love playing they'll play saturday wednesday saturday now obviously at some point tiredness might come into it but i do think yeah he'll be looking for a similar similar size squad to last season now that obviously means they do need to to bring in to bring in some players because of the ones we've talked about that have that have moved on but yeah again it, it's not going to be bringing in loads of players for the sake of it i think they'll pinpoint targets um and then just try and get them in before the window and, and, and run off that very similar size squad where everyone's involved and everyone's got a chance of playing well as well as new signings wolves fans are really really rather desperate for news of nuno's new contract aren't they because it expires next summer and everything hangs on Nuno, really, the way the club is structured now in terms of backroom staff, you would think, uh, are very much his backroom staff. A lot of the players who came in the championship and have progressed with him, Adama Traore, who's improved so much under him, you get the impression that he is really integral to all of that and the future success. Now, there's no cause for alarm. There's no reason to think he won't sign the contract. It's just a case of with him not having signed it yet, some Wolves fans are very nervous. Can you understand that? Yeah, I can. Um, just absolutely agree with everything you've just said there. I think he, you know, he's now pivotal for Wolves. Um, you know, the day he does he does leave, which hopefully is obviously many years in the future, I think that is, you know, that's Wolves' next big challenge for me because I think we will bring players in. Um, I think the biggest challenge we face over the next few years is that almost succession to Nuno. But uh, I think in terms of the contract, as you say, I wouldn't have thought there's anything to be concerned about. It's been, you know, unprecedented times. We've had the pandemic, which I think from sort of looking at his interviews, I think that's affected Nuno quite a lot as well. Um, you know, he didn't get to see his family through that, and which I imagine he's now hopefully managed to do that since the end of the season. Um, so I think his mind, you know, it's very much focused on football, but but things like the contract, which is almost at the back of his mind, I think will now probably have moved to the front as we get back into the, into the new season. And I think you'd certainly expect, I'm sure talks have perhaps been continuing, but you'd certainly expect hopefully to get some sort of news on that you know, over the coming weeks. Um, no guarantees, obviously, but equally, you know, there's, I don't see anything that sort of raises raises any concerns. I'm sure he's enjoying Wolves as much as, as much as everyone else has been enjoying watching the team and he will want to make that progress in the next step, um, you know, and see what happens this season. Yeah, and as much as he's been fantastic for Wolves, Wolves have been pretty good for him too, bearing in mind there aren't too many top top clubs if you think about it where he would have the amount of control and autonomy okay Jeff she's clearly in charge but Nuno wouldn't have a player foisted upon him if he didn't want it and he could stop a player going if he wanted to and you know a lot of the staff and players are playing for him so you would think from that perspective you can't take that for granted you can't just walk into say an Arsenal or a, an Everton or, or you know looking higher up the food chain a, a Juventus or somebody like that and just expect to have that level of control it's it's something that he has and, and isn't just going to give his wicket away lightly No you wouldn't have thought so and I think 
you, you know, it's always that situation. He's the grass greener. I mean, I think he keeps a lot to himself, doesn't he? And understandably so. Nobody really knows what's what's Nuno's plan. Does he want to spend another three, four, five years at Wolves and see how far he can take Wolves? Is he does he want another big job somewhere else? Um, where, as you say, he might not have that sort of control. So, Wolves have been good for him. It's been you know, it's been a fantastic three years. And I'm sure you know he must be enjoying it, and I'm sure he'll want another three years like that. Um, to keep strengthening, keep moving forward, and to, to see how far he can really take Wolves from, you know, it's a fantastic story from where they were when he arrived um, to where they are now. And uh, yeah, it's something I'm sure he's extremely proud of. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash athletic and pay the postage of 4 95 and if that wasn't enough, as a listener of our show, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power's in your hands and they deliver your beers straight to your front door. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and beery snacks thrown in too. Just go to beer52.com forward slash athletic to get your free case and don't forget right now listeners get two extra free beers talking about that when when Nuno arrived and, and let's come on now to talk about you and your career and your experiences of, of following Wolves of writing about Wolves and of fending off nasty journalists wanting to write and talk about Wolves you were you were there weren't you in Austria in that summer when Nuno arrived I mean what was it like from your perspective to go from the many many previous managers that you'd had at Wolves to this very different type of character who changed the philosophy the mindset the formation the style of play almost overnight on a training pitch in Austria yeah, I mean, I didn't actually go to Austria. Excellent. Behind, sorry, <laughs> but yeah, I delegated that one. But no, yeah, we had obviously we had some stuff out in, in Austria at the time, um, and I was, I think, staying getting ready for the new season. But but certainly, yeah, seeing him work that summer, um, you know, it was kind of, I suppose, an education. I mean, every every manager or head coach comes in with their own ideas. Um, I think Nuno was just it was so much about shape. You know, literally, you just saw the bits we saw of training because we didn't sort of watch too much, but it was very much drilling into the players how he wanted them to play, um, you know, day after day after day so that they knew exactly what was expected of them in whatever position they were playing. So if there was, a, you know, the first reserve, if you like, he, he would also be doing the same sort of drills just so everyone knew exactly what, what Nuno expected of them. Um, and I think he's very much a sort of actions, actions, not words, isn't he? He, he didn't do any media at all throughout that sort of pre-season, which, which was a new one for us. Um, you know, most managers come in, they want to, they want to tell people what they're planning. Whereas Nuno was the complete opposite. I think he just wanted to get on with it. Um, you know, proof is in the pudding of of the results which followed. So, yeah, you kind of you try and get get to know a new manager, get used to them, try and operate in a way which which helps them, which at the end of the day, you know, as a media department, that's what you're there for. You're the sort of messenger um, and trying to make things as painless as possible for them while, while getting the messages out there. And what's it like as a character? Because we hear a lot about him being very intense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's someone else at Wolf said to me, you know, while I was still there, I think for Nuno, his... Uh, his raison d'etre, if you like, what he enjoys most, I guess like a lot of managers and coaches, is that hour and a half on the training pitch. Um, you know, I think he really comes alive in that sort of time of the day with the players, working with the players, improving the players. 
um, you know, everything else around the job, the media side and other things, obviously he knows it's part of the job and he'll do it, but yeah, I think it's probably clear to see he probably doesn't doesn't relish that. If he didn't have to do it, he probably wouldn't. His, you know, I think what drives him every day is, is improving those players, is is getting the tactics right for matches, is winning matches, um, and that's where the real intensity comes from him. Um, and away from that, you know, he'll get on with the job and, and do whatever he needs to do. But but yeah, probably not with the same relish and enjoyment as those those times on the training pitch. Yeah, there are a few managers who are not so keen on the media side of things, and it, it, it not massively popular in terms of um, people who really need a quote for their article that they're writing. And they you know, nationally, I'm talking about some, some of the newspapers, and or what can we, or even broadcast wise. But I think he comes across perfectly well on television, his interviews, and he's always been perfectly polite and, and easy to to interview. But um, yes. It, can be tricky, I guess, for some people who just really want him to expand on an answer, just not trying to catch him out, just please expand on what you mean by this, or um, not such a fan of doing that, I guess. Was that hard for you? Yeah, it is a bit, because, you know, the people are coming to the press conferences and expecting things, but, you know, as I just said before, it's up to each manager and coach, and again, the number of interview requests we received in those first few months, oh, you know, we want to talk about Nuno, what's his secret? Let's talk about his background. You know, he must want to talk about that. And it was like, no, <laughs> he actually doesn't. Um, you know, we asked him certainly the first few and then very quickly got the message that, you know, he's here to work. He wants to he wants to do everything out on the, on the training pitch. He, um, he wants to be judged on results and actions. And, you know, he wasn't willing at all to, um, to sit down and, and tell everyone how he did it. But... I certainly think over the years, um, probably since I've gone, and, and obviously Max that's there now has done, done a great job. He's done a lot of more sort of round the tables with those little journalists. I think he's opened up a lot more, um, you know, at, at the right time. Uh, his press conferences are probably still, he's not going to give too much, but I think those sessions have been very enlightening for people and he's, you know, he's given them a bit of a bit of the magic and a bit of what's behind him, um, which you know, it's always nice. Again, as fans and, and as journalists, you, you want to be telling the, you want to hear those stories, you want to be telling those stories. Um, so I think you know that balance has probably got got a lot better now. I mean, from your point of view, you are absolutely Mr. Poacher Turn Gamekeeper, aren't you? <laughs> going from going from Wolves Wolves fan going every week to then uh, writing for the Birmingham Mail. Warsaw reporter, rugby reporter, Warsaw reporter, then Wolves reporter. And what was that like going from being a fan to suddenly having to ask questions and build relationships with the club? Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, I think obviously as a Wolves fan, I suppose it was a dream to be covering Wolves, you know, week in week out, as as I did for the Birmingham Mail um, for many years. And you know, obviously not quite the profile of the Express and Star, uh, but still going to every game, every press conference, doing the interviews. And yeah, it's very much sort of labour of love. Um, but you do have to change your mindset pretty quickly from, from being a fan, I think. You can't, you know, it helps. I think you know what fans are thinking, um, but you can't sort of write as a fan and you can't sort of shape questions as a fan because I think we all know that, you know, managers there's a certain way to ask questions and a certain way to get to try and get the best answers out of them. So, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting change, um, something I really enjoyed. And then obviously making that change over then to being sort of part of the club was was another step on the journey, really. And I think that was probably more of a change because I was so used to trying to tell the stories and, and, and putting in a load of detail. And then you go to the club and as much as Wolves have always been a really open club, I think, Sometimes there's stuff, you know, you don't want to say. And I remember 
Freddie Eastwood, I think, left quite soon into my time at Wolves, and obviously that was quite a big story because it hadn't quite worked out for him. And I was asked to sort of draft a statement, um, which I did, and I sort of wrote it as I'd probably be writing a back page lead and talking to Jez Moxie. He was like, uh, "No, not quite. This is a sort of three or four paragraphs of thanking him for everything he's done, etc." And you know, leave that stuff to the media now. So yeah, there was uh, there was a bit of changing to be done, but again, um, I think I managed to grasp that and, and really enjoyed my time. Just out of interest, what's the difference, do you think, between being the correspondent for Wolves of the Birmingham Mail and of the Express and Star, which is obviously the city's main newspaper? Mm. Were there different pressures, do you think, on the the two correspondents? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, uh, you know, the Express and Star is, has been regarded for since the beginning of time as the main, you know, the main Wolves paper. Um and again, even even though I was on the other side and I was wanting the sort of maybe the access they got, I could totally understand that. Uh, and if there were messages from the club or the manager or, or Jez at the time that he really needed to get out to, to as many people as possible in Wolverhampton, it, it was going to be the Express and Star, especially sort of before the internet came in. So, yeah, I think there's certainly a lot more pressure on, on, on those people working with Express and Star than the Birmingham Mail. Um, and I think that probably, again, carries on to today because... So many fans that have grown up with the Express and Star, like like me and you have, I guess, and, and lots of others, they are, you know, they've often been thought of the authority. Um, things are probably changing a bit now with other, you know, so many other media outlets now coming into the coming into the frame. But from a local perspective, um, I think they'll certainly be be regarded in that way. Uh, and I, and for, to a degree, it kind of helped me on the Birmingham Mail to be able to, you know, I like writing the feature stuff, the player stuff. Um, avoiding a bit of the controversy that sometimes the Express and Star had to get involved in probably helped me in that respect. And when you started covering Wolves with Birmingham Mail, Jones was the manager. And in your first season, finally, finally won promotion at Cardiff in the playoff final. How was that for you, having to work on that? Did you have to sit on your hands? Did you manage to to shut the emotions down and purely focus on, on tapping away at the final whistle? Yeah, I mean, I think the workload sort of took care of that one. Um, I remember three of us went down to Cardiff, a couple of colleagues, uh, Chris and Colin from... Uh, from the Birmingham at the time, and it was quite bizarre because the same three of us had been the year before um, when I'd been helping cover the Blues victory, and that was probably far more difficult because obviously Wolves had uh, blown up that season. So, yeah, it was a far happier afternoon. Um, yeah, very tense and nervous as a fan, but able to kind of, yeah, put that to one side a little bit and, and almost enjoy it from a professional point of view, really, of getting the chance to, um, you know, to report the Millennium Stadium and to report on a win. Obviously, had it, had the game not gone as it did, it could have been a very, very different experience. And when you switched from the Birmingham Mail as a, a writer to the Wolves media team, Mick McCarthy was in charge. So how was that transition between going to a press conference one week and asking him for quotes to the next week trying to manage his quotes? Yeah, I mean, Mick was... Um... Yeah, I found Mick fantastic both on both sides of the fence, really. And I remember, I think, the first pre-season when, um, when I joined up with him, just having started the job, I'm not even sure if I'd seen Mick since I'd made the change. And um, they'd gone into, gone into the bar at the hotel for a drink in the evening. I sort of came in, I was with Foz, uh, John Henley, sadly no longer with us, who a lot of people will know. And sort of we, you know, I sort of was a bit nervous and a bit tentative and I sat sort of away from them, really, because I'm thinking it's not my place, I'm not... I'm not yet part of it, and straight away he sort of came over and he, um, without wishing to swear, he said, Paul, you are on the outside uh, bleeping in. Now you're on the inside bleeping out, come and sit with us and have a beer. And so straight away, I think, you know, yeah, Mick had a great 
uh, ability to put people at their ease um, alongside. Obviously, he's got that intimidating side to him as well when it comes to his work and how how determined he is. But yeah, uh, just such a great bloke. And I, know I feel privileged that I had those probably first three or four years um, working for him. Oh yeah, privileged until that day that Wolves went and lost 5-1 at home to the Albion. And Mick goes on TV afterwards looking as though he's he's had enough and then Steve Morgan I think he was abroad somewhere apparently saw that post-match interview and thought oh he looks like he's had enough goes and sacks him and then you saw the other side of that from the inside of Mick feeling that way that day but maybe having changed his mind the next day but it was too late that's it yeah I mean that again it was a surreal day really because that was the first time I've been on the inside and seen a manager leave and obviously you know Mick had built up such great relationships at Wolves not just with the players but with everybody and I remember sort of we were in the in the reception area that time. That's where we were based in terms of the press, the small press team that we had then. And myself and Foz were sat there. And Mick came and just sat down. And we had sort of 10, 15 minutes after the dust had settled. He'd literally been told that morning. And I think you know, I'm sure he won't, won't mind me saying. I think he said at the time, look, last night, Sunday night. I think he just felt that maybe that was it, and the end had come. And then. The next morning he woke up and in typical defiant Mick, he was like, right, let's get to work and let's let's sort this out. But, um, you know, the decision was made. I think even with that, he could understand it. He'd have always backed himself to keep Wolves up and he always, you know, he always will have done. But by the same token, I think he, you know, he absolutely loved his six years there. And yeah, I think him and Steve and him and Jez still, still get on well now. It was just one of those things that happens in football. Um, and sadly, managers eventually do sort of, for one reason or other, move on. And you were there when that awful couple of weeks came when Wolves were being ridiculed by the national media for having sacked Mick McCarthy with no replacement lined up and nobody really available at that time and then being turned down by managers, etc. I mean, what was it like being in the middle of that, of that maelstrom? Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, well, if I look back on my time, that was probably the, the most difficult two weeks. And I think, you know, we actually sat down afterwards, I remember, with my boss, Matt Grayson and Jez, and I think maybe Richard Skiro, the club secretary at the time, and, and almost did a post-mortem, if you like, of those two weeks, because it did just seem as if the story got completely out, out of control, really. And I think, you know, as a club, and, and Jez especially, he was great at fronting things up. And I think that was a little bit of a change then, because... I think we and Jez were trying to be really helpful with people and trying to give steers out. And it it just became, you know, the perfect storm, really, because all these names were getting mentioned, so many of the media were getting involved. Um, it just looked like Wolves had completely lost control of the situation. It was an international break, which meant, you know, aside from the internationals, there was this vacuum of, 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 of media interest that was looking for somewhere to go and they found it at Wolves. So... Yeah, it was a very, you know, difficult two weeks. Learned so much from it. I'm sure everybody did. As I say, I think we sat down afterwards as a club to, to learn from it if it ever happened again. And um, and I think Jez would probably say that, you know, the next time there was changes in managerial terms, whether whether they worked or they didn't, I think there was certainly more of a plan in place. Mm, talking about whether they worked or didn't, Terry Connor was initially given the role, then Starla Solbakken, then Dean Saunders, and of course there were successive relegations. I mean, we won't have time to go into detail about all the different managers, but can you just give us a bit of insight as to what it was like under Starla Solbakken and then Saunders? Yeah, I mean, um, Stoller, I mean, obviously I got on really well with, with Terry Connor as with Mick, so, um, you know, I think, Terry wanted the job, he wanted to have a go, the players were desperate for him to succeed, it obviously didn't work out and I think, as we've alluded to there, there are probably other 
of the names that Wolves might have wanted and, and I'm, I'm just really glad that, that Terry went on and had a you know, continued his coaching career with Mick, which has been a fantastic one. But yeah, it could kind of Stoller was again probably my first new manager, if you like, someone coming in and, and, and a very different approach to Mick and a very different sort of take from the clubs and on where they wanted to go. And I think I you know, I got on really well with Stoller. Um I just think ultimately the players probably didn't quite sort of grasp what he wanted them to do. Um, maybe if you're going to go with Stoller, you've got to give him longer than, than he was given to try and you know turn the players around, if you like, and bring in a new style of play. But again, I think Stoller himself has said some of the signings that, that came in and a lot of them at once, you know, some of them didn't work either. So then the decision to sort of move Stoller on was made and, and in came Dean, who was you know massively enthusiastic, um, probably a throwback again to a different kind of manager so you're changing things around I think Steve Morgan probably thought that there'd be that kick in terms of Dean's enthusiasm and you know his, his, his attitude to work and just lifting the place a little bit but again I mean that didn't didn't work either so getting to that summer after double relegations again one of the very difficult I mean a difficult two years I suppose in all um, but you know thankfully they really they went out and found you know the perfect man for the job at that time in Kenny uh, that summer was a kind of rebuilding process, both players and fans. And, um, you know, I think Kenny can be credited really with starting the revival that has then been been taken on in such spectacular fashion over these last few years. Yeah, and then came in Walter Zenger and there's, there's that rather amusing photograph of you looking very concerned in the background as I'm having a of deep, in-depth in yeah. conversation with Walter Zenger. And I, I can't even remember how that came about. I think I found him pitch side. I just felt that I just wanted to go and talk to him about the club for some reason. I don't know why. I was, I was doing something on the pitch with the with the PA announcer and, um, and there's a photo makes you look really concerned about what I'm saying and about him and um, who, was, who was the other it was Andrea, Italian? Yeah. Andre that's Bruce, it. Came in the Wolves, yeah. That's it. And they're like, "Who is this woman ranting on about the wolves?" I don't even know what I was saying. But anyway, um, so that didn't last very long. And then, then Paul Lambert, and then Nuno. I mean, who would you say was your favourite manager to work for in terms of actually doing your job as a, as a person and as a professional as well? Wow. Um, I think I'd like to sort of say I probably got on well with all of them. Um, you know, you, again, you operate in a different way with all of them because they all want kind of different different things. I mean, Nuno was a very short time, but I could kind of, you could certainly see where the club was going with Nuno in charge. Um, Paul Lambert took quite an interest again in the media and the fans. I think he'd, he'd kind of learned a lot from probably Aston Villa, the situation, whether he'd made mistakes there. And he was, he was always on the phone, sort of keen to know what fans were thinking, what the media were thinking. So that was, that was much as the, the football again probably didn't work out like everyone thought. He was he was interesting one to work with. But I think there is an app. There is an app for that, by the way. If you want to know what the fans are thinking, it's called Twitter. Oh, of course, <laughs> get there yes, quite, yeah, get no, there quite quickly. Mate, no, we'll probably quite there. dangerous. Though. No, absolutely. But I think yeah. I mean, the, I suppose the, the times really, which you know, the special times. I think are the promotions and obviously Mick um, that promotion to the Premier League and then Kenny that season in League One, which you know nobody wanted to be in League One, but some fantastic memories from that. So. And again, doing the job, both of those, very different personalities, different characters, but, you know, great to work for. They they trusted us a lot, um, and but they equally, they're always there when we had a problem or an issue. So, yeah, I think looking back, those two promotion years were particularly special. We are running out of time, but I did want to get your take on Jez Moxie, because I think fans don't obviously know him personally very well but a lot of fans have their own perception of him and for many of them, it's not a very positive one. Do you think that's fair? Because I've spoken to a lot of people who worked with him who felt that that was unfair. 
I think it is unfair, yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's a very different club under Jez. Uh, we probably, you know, I don't, I don't think, and I'm sure nobody minds me saying this, we probably didn't have as many staff as we'd all like. Everyone was having to work uh, very long hours, very intense. But I think what that did was, you know, engender a real sense of togetherness and, and everybody went over and above. And I think that kind of came from, from Jez. And I think you'll find a lot of people that work for him. And Richard Skiro and the people at that time have, have a huge amount of respect um, for what they did. Didn't always agree with Jez, obviously, you know, everyone that worked for him, but I think he did, you know, he did have this, I think he did inspire people. Uh, he didn't suffer fools, he had high standards, but that inspired people to try and meet those high standards. Um, and I think when it comes to the, the club and the fans, I think, you know, Jez was only ever doing a job um, of what Sir Jack and Steve Morgan, you know, were kind of asking him to do. Uh, and again, I think both Sir Jack and Steve, and I think fans now probably hopefully look on their time with a bit more positivity than maybe they did at times. They did invest, you know, a lot of a lot of money into the club, which Jez then then had to run. Um, not to the same level as Fosen, but certainly there was success during those times. And Jez ran the club. It's a you know huge pressure on him, which I think he enjoyed and relished. Uh, and again, very approachable. Um, you know, a lot of things he did behind the scenes, probably same as Mick, that never really come out, but the sort of personal touch and, you know, the care that both of them had for staff and for fans who were going through difficult times that kind of just stayed under the radar, I think. You know, people don't forget that. And, um, you know, I certainly really enjoyed the challenge of working for Jez. Um, and I think a lot of people feel the same way. And sadly, Paul, we have to end on a really sad note, and that is... News yesterday of the sudden death the day before on Sunday of Steve Lee, aged 68. He was best known as face and voice of Midlands football in our youth growing up in the West Midlands. And he was working for BBC Midlands today. And it was such a shock to everybody. Your thoughts and memories of Steve? Yeah, absolutely. You know, stunned and, and shocked and saddened, really. Um, and again, if, we, if you look over Twitter, and I'm sure you've said the same, and I think we all have, he's... He was just one of those guys, and especially when I was sort of coming through, if you like, as a reporter, and I was naive, I didn't really know what was what was going on. You go to a press conference, he was always one of those that would sort of take you under his wing, um, you know, give you help, give you advice, really approachable. And then working at Wolves, when I think uh, Steve had moved on to Sky Sports by that moment, and again, he was, you know, he'd come and do press conferences, and he was always just so good to deal with, um, got the job done, asked the difficult questions, um, but never, you know, was never looking for a, for anything controversial. He just wanted answers to what he was asking and was just so good to deal with. And such a friendly, um, you know, happy bloke, really good company. And I think, you know, speaking for everyone, as you look at the tributes, it's, it's, it's really shocking, really sad. And condolences to his family, who he used to talk about, you know, with such pride and affection, obviously. And, um, you know, he's going to be sadly missed by everyone, I'm sure. Yes, and his daughter Rebecca tweeted that he managed to see his granddaughter play a football match for the first time last weekend. So um, whilst it's very, very sad and, and sudden death of Steve Lee, at least he has... His family has that very precious memory of that photograph of him and his granddaughter. So we wish the family well. Thank you so much for being our guest this week on the Molly New View podcast, Paul. 
We might let Tim Spears back next week. I'm not sure whether that's been decided after he rudely abandoned his podcast wife this week. But I, I think there's a chance he might be let sure, back be into ready. the fray. We'll, we'll no, let him. But thank much. you. No, thank you. <laughs> yes. And hopefully you'll have a hopefully you'll have a few uh, transfers to be discussing next week. We shall see. But thanks again, Paul. And if you'd like to catch up on the articles that Tim has still been providing for The Athletic, then do go to theathletic.co uk forward slash wolves pod for the first 30 days free i'll be back with tim next week and we'll be with you on your regular podcast platform on tuesday morning bye for now 